This is The Blunt Doctor Show on a Wednesday. As fucking usual, right? Here we are yet again on a Wednesday, and we are talking about the Phoenix Suns winning 17 in a fucking row. Last night, getting to 17 without Devin Booker for half the game. He was injured partway through, and the Suns still come through and take it to 17. We're here to talk about why this team is the best team in the NBA right now, and it's not hyperbolic at all for me to say that. They're literally the best team in the NBA. We're going to talk about college coaching salaries, why they're out of control, why Brian Kelly does not deserve the money he just got from LSU, but also why I'm interested in what Lincoln Riley and USC are going to do. So there's a lot of interesting things to talk about here, and I would of course be remiss if I didn't talk about Michigan and that other team just a little bit. I know I'm a little bit late on that one, but fuck it, it's my show, I can do what I want. Um, Speaking of Michigan, I did actually hit in the previous episode I mentioned, I think four parlays. I think I hit two of the four mentioned. I hit the Michigan parlay because they did win. And I hit my Phoenix Suns uh, points, rebounds, and assists parlay uh, for Chris Paul, Mikhail Bridges, and Devin Booker. So those came through. I did make some other ones throughout the day. Um, See, I'll like make picks of things I want to bet and they'll be good and I I will make them. And then I'll be like, you know what? I should also bet this later in the day. And that's just kind of how it goes with me. So Um, I don't really remember which ones I didn't mention. We won't worry about that for now. But hey, hitting two or four parlays is pretty goddamn good. So again, you know, when I mention them, you should at least look into it. Before we get into all of the topics of the day, I will mention the one parlay I have for today. It's not actually one that I came up with. It's on FanDuel. It's available to everyone. It's a popular parlay. But I saw it and I fucking love it. And I'm going to tell you something about gambling. I don't give a shit whose idea it was. I don't give a shit who gave you the tip or whatever. If it's a good tip, you take it. And I fucking love this parlay. This is plus 992 right now on FanDuel. That's Tyrese Maxey, four plus assists, four plus rebounds, and 15 points. Marcus Smart, 10 plus points, four plus rebounds, and four assists. So it's basically uh, betting on the Tyrese Maxey and Marcus Smart show uh, in the uh, 76ers and Celtics game. And truthfully, Neither of those things, not neither, no, no, none of the six of those things are really unattainable. Those are all quite attainable. I suppose you could argue that Tyrese Maxey's rebounds could be, you know, a little difficult, uh, you know, whatever. Either way, I think that's a great bet. I think it has a lot of opportunity to occur, and I'm taking it. So, again, you can check that one out on FanDuel. That's the only one I've got at the moment. Um, if throughout talking through everything, I end up making a subsequent bet, which could happen, during the show maybe i'll pause and make a bet somewhere then i will mention that but we'll just layer in the picks and parlays throughout if we need to let's talk about the phoenix fucking suns and 17 goddamn wins in a row this shit is awesome the suns are the best team in the nba right now there's there's no arguing it they've got the best record Um, You can't tell me anything about the teams that they've played now because they just beat the Warriors last night and Devin Booker didn't play half the game. You know, when Booker went out, it was, you know, I was watching with um, a friend of mine and, and, you know, we looked at each other and, oh, boy, I don't know. Like, you know, it was kind of like an oh shit moment. But, you know, the Suns rallied. Next man up, as we all call it, Landry Shamit and Cam Johnson and um, at least on defense, Mikhail Bridges really did his job. Everyone did their job, and the Suns came away with the win. Um, Mikhail played a hell of a game, by the way. I think he only scored two points, and 
Everyone has made this point. I'm already going to make it. Like, his defense was incredible. And, you know, the I think Tim McMahon said it was one of the most impactful two-point performances you'll ever see. And I think Steve Kerr once said about Scottie Pippen, Scottie Pippen would score four points and dominate a game. And this is that kind of game that Mikhail Bridges had where he is just, he's a defensive wizard. And everything that the Suns did made Curry's life a nightmare. He couldn't hit a shot to save his life. He was barely making anything. The Warriors were almost better when Curry went to the bench and Jordan Poole was the only focal point of their offense because Poole was awesome for most of the game. Um, and, you know, truthfully, they hit a lot of threes. You know, I mean, the Warriors made a lot of threes. Otto Porter hit several triples. Dude, at one point, Gary Payton Jr. threw down a nasty left-handed dunk. Like, I mean, the Warriors were playing well. It wasn't as if, you know, the team was complete garbage. The Warriors were playing well, but the Suns made Steph Curry's life such a fucking nightmare that he couldn't make shot. And down the stretch, we all know what Chris Paul does. And the execution was there. And boom. You know, the Suns... One of the biggest things I really wanted to see in this game, too, was DeAndre Ayton. I wanted to see the Suns get DeAndre Ayton involved, utilize that size to punish the Warriors, and they did. We just we match up really well with the Warriors because they don't have a DeAndre Ayton or someone who can defend DeAndre Ayton. I know that no one else has a DeAndre Ayton. DeAndre Ayton is a fucking unicorn, whether or not people want to acknowledge that. DeAndre Ayton is a fucking unicorn in this league, and... You know, they just don't have anyone that could deal with him. And he would just go up and over. And he got, you know, he hit a lot of shots early. He had some clutch buckets. I mean, we know what this team is made of now more than ever because you just beat the team, the only team in the league that was ahead of you. You know, the Warriors were mowing everyone down. And then down our best player, we still got the job done. Side note. I haven't, as of this point, they haven't released anything about Devin Booker's injury status. I see a lot of people saying a couple of weeks, that'd be nice. I'm sure they'll be cautious. Um, you always worry about the hamstring. It's one of those things, if you come back too early, then you re-aggravate it and it just, you know, it takes longer and longer and never goes away. So, uh, you know, I hope Book is cautious. Just, you know, take the time, sit out. He needs to be healthy for the playoffs. We're trying to win a championship. So, you know, Booker needs to sit as long as he needs to sit. It's a bummer that... He had to sit out this game, but it is incredible um, that the Suns were able to complete the task and shows the depth. And when we play the Warriors again Friday night, it's going to be interesting to see how that goes because you're likely to be without Devin Booker at that point. And if you can complete the task again and beat the Warriors again and slow them down, you know, this time in their own arena, you know, still without Devin Booker, that would be incredible. Um but last night was, I mean, it was really everything that you wanted to see. Uh, Paul had five steals. Mikhail had four steals. Mikhail had six steals in the first half the other night, too. Like, Mikhail Bridges is, I mean, <laughs> he should be an all-defense first-team player. He should be in the discussion for defensive player of the year type stuff. He's an incredible player. He's a lockdown wing defender. He's a great shooter. Um, he doesn't always, you know, play aggressively on offense. On a night like tonight when... His whole focus is playing defense. He's not going to take nearly as many shots, but you know he still impacts the game in an incredible way. Obviously, Jay Crowder had a nice game. It's just everything everything really worked for the Suns tonight, even when things weren't always working. They just, you know, at one point they fell behind a little bit. You just keep grinding, keep running that offense, and eventually it clicks. Um, 
it's just it's fun to watch. I love this team. I love the craftiness of this offense. I love all the motion and movement. I love all the layered pick and roll. It, this is the kind of basketball that I really, really fucking love is watching just the complexity of the way the Suns play basketball. It's not just dudes isolating and playing, you know, schoolyard ball and whoever scores, you know, let's alternate. It's nothing like that at all. It's, you know, crisp passing and, you know, the ball ping pongs around the perimeter and you always make the extra pass to find the open shooter. And, you know, different guys are in the corner and rotating. And, you know, with certain lineups, it's almost positionless. At one point last night, the Suns had a lineup where Mikhail was playing center. It was, I believe it was Paul Booker, Cam Johnson, Mikhail Bridges, and Jay Crowder, I think. I, or it may have been, I, it, was, it was like five wings. I don't even think Jay was out there. It was the tiniest lineup. The Warriors had gone super small. The Suns went super small in response. It might have been Chris Paul, Campaign, Devin Booker, Mikhail Bridges, and Cam Johnson. I, I can't remember the exact specifics of it. The point is the Suns were playing like five almost guards to counter the Warriors' small ball. So this is the thing about the Suns is that this team can flex and match with like anyone. Because of DeAndre Ayton's defensive abilities, he can hang with, you know, the Jokic's and the and the Embiid's. And, you know, he crushes a guy like Gobert and just makes him not a factor, right? You know, so he can hang with the big guys. But then he can also, you know, hang with Draymond Green. And he can guard, you know, guys on the perimeter. At one point, DeAndre Ayton blocked a Steph Curry step-back three last night. No one blocks a Steph Curry step-back three. DeAndre Ayton did. And... That defensive versatility, he's a unicorn on offense and defense. DeAndre Aiden can do a little bit of everything. And that makes the Suns so dangerous because they can play anyone in any style. When the Warriors went super small, the Suns were able to play super small with them, or they can go big and punish those super small lineups. Especially now that the Suns have JaVale McGee, you've got you know essentially 48 minutes of huge play. At the center position. And I, I've said this before and I'll say it again. If the Suns were able to acquire JaVale McGee last year, they would have won the finals. I, I believe that. I truly believe that the minutes that DeAndre Ayton sat is when they fell apart, which is true. And, you know, as good as Torrey Craig was, the small ball center thing wasn't working. You know, and Kaminsky and Dario just couldn't, you know, hang with the Bucks in any way. And Dario was injured, you know, anyway. So it just... If the Suns had had JaVale McGee last year, I truly believe he was the missing piece. And so he is now the piece they have to put them over the top. I'd love to see, I'd still love to see the Suns get a little more depth. Like if there was a way to get Torrey Craig back, that would be awesome. Or if, you know, everyone talks about Thaddeus Young on Suns Twitter. Like if there was still a way to get Thaddeus Young, I would love that. There's still, you know, there are still moves that could be made. Even, you know, if even if there was a third big, I don't, I don't know who... You know, just in case of, you know, whatever, like a third big might be nice. Um, but again, wing depth, another big, just something. If, if we're not going to pay to keep Jalen Smith around and we're not going to play him, that roster spot surely can be used on, you know, uh, a, a, another potential rotation player. And I think that's kind of the thought with the Thaddeus Young thing is like you'd package Dario's contract and Jalen Smith for Thad Young and something else. Like, I, I don't know, like, you know, to make 
to make the roster match fit. I don't know exactly what the deal would be, but um, and I hate to just you know send Dario packing, but just truthfully, like you know, he's not going to play this season, and we're trying to win a title this season, so it's hard. And I, trades are difficult with injured players. There are certain rules that have to be followed. Um, you know, you can't always just do it. You know, there's physicals and all these things, but um, you know. I, I expect the Suns to make one more move. And I've heard, I think we've all heard that they're doing that, whether you listen to Flex from Jersey, whether you listen to the low post and you hear uh, Michael Schwartz, like everyone has said, you know, expect the Suns to be sniffing around moves. So I'm not breaking any news there. I'm not, you know, I'm not telling any tales. You know, I think it's true that everyone expects that the Suns are going to look at something. And I really think that, you know, it's just, it's got to be, Wing depth or a big man. There's no need for more guard play, really. Um, Shamit has been a really nice addition. Um, we all know that campaign has, you know, the backup point guard spot locked down. So there's really, there's no need really to to add any guard play. You know, you've got Alfred Payton, uh, who, you know, played a few minutes last night and wasn't, you know, horrible, especially defensively. Um, he, you know, he was, he was out there. Um, but, uh, you really don't need more guard depth. You need, you know, last year the Suns had like really truly four wings. And so, you know, getting a guy like Torrey Craig, not that he's just available again, but getting a guy like that, not that you can just find that, but that was huge. So we'll see what the Suns do in terms of looking for other players. But, um, you know, with Booker out for the next couple of weeks, you're just pretty much going to do, you know, again, next man up. It's going to be Shamit. It's going to be Alfred Payton at times. If Nader were able to come back and, you know, be the Abdul Nader that isn't, you know, crazy and all over the place and be the Abdul Nader who focuses in on defense and, you know, hits an occasional shot here and there, that could also be a help. No matter what, though, 17 in a row proves this is this is an all-time kind of team. You know, Michael Jordan... I remember in the 90s when they were hitting their streaks, you know, they hit like 18 wins in a row. You know, they never won 25 or 30 in a row. So, you know, the Suns are putting themselves in a class of all-time great teams just by winning this many games in a row because there just aren't this many win streaks of this length. You know, they this is the longest, the tied for the longest win streak that has ever existed in the Suns organization. And again, it goes back to a great Suns team. I'm not trying to compare the Suns and Bulls. I'm just talking about truly great teams that went on long winning streaks. This Suns team is a truly great team. And you can sit there and talk about who they played against during part of it. The Suns don't make the schedule. Okay. They do not. This is not college football. They didn't schedule cupcakes. It's not how it works. You know, they play who's in front of them. And they've beaten everyone that's, you know, been put in front of them. And if a guy sits out of the game, that's what it is. I mean, Booker sat out at the second half of this Suns game against the Warriors. And, you know, they still won. So I don't, you know, I don't know if any Warriors fans were going to be like, well, if we had Clay Thompson, but you can't. Because you don't even know what Clay's going to be. And Devin Booker is healthy and he didn't play. So there's just really no need for any of the asterisks or the, oh, well, this, that, and the other, the well buts. There's just no need for any of it. This is a great team. Accept it. This is the best team in the NBA right now. Accept it. 
I firmly believe that the Suns and Warriors will be playing in the Western Conference Finals. And I firmly believe that the Suns will beat the Warriors and they will play Milwaukee again in a rematch. And I think they'll take them down this time. That's what I believe. That's what I think is going to happen. I mean, this team just had no losses for a month. A month. No losses. None. For a fucking month of an NBA season. No loss November, they're calling it. And I think you know what that's in reference to. And, I mean, it doesn't have to end now. Suns play Detroit and then play the Warriors again. It's going to be hard to win without Booker, sure, but this is also why you acquire a guy guy like Landry Shamit. Now, he can't create as much as Booker can, and he can't score in every way that Booker can, but he can sure as hell shoot, and he can sure as hell fill it up. And if you need him to just empty the clip for a couple of games, you know, Landry Shamit is fucking ready to do that. And we all know what Chris Paul is capable of doing in terms of maximizing all of his teammates and maximizing the clutch. And I don't see any reason that the Suns can't continue this win streak. This team is deep. This team believes in each other. This team is fucking good. This is the best team in the NBA, and it is not all about Devin Booker. So while it hurts to have Book out, I really, really believe that this team can continue to take this thing potentially into the 20s. Now, Friday night's game against the Warriors is going to be a huge test. If we go into Chase Center, or whatever the hell that place is called, and beat them on their own turf without Devin Booker, well then. Now, Booker is by some miracle back, great, whatever. But if he's out and we still get it taken care of, hey, that's what's up. I expect Booker to sit out a little bit, but I'm just saying, whatever the outcome, I believe in this team and their ability to win and continue this streak because of the system, because of the chemistry. And because of Monty fucking Williams, I'll be honest with you. I love Monty Williams. I mean, has Monty been a godsend or what? Consider, like, this organization should be in shambles right now because of the whole Sarver thing. Because we don't even know who's going to have controlling interest of the team next summer. We don't even know... What's going to happen with DeAndre because of the contract situation, because of all that? Like, I know he's a restricted free agent, but when you have this kind of, you know, all this stuff looming over you, you never know what could occur. And this team is just sticking together and winning games because they truly love each other. This could be maybe the most interesting championship season of all time. If the Suns keep this thing together and get it done and all of this other stuff is looming in the background, the Disney CEO saying he wants to buy the Suns and, you know, all these things, it's it's very interesting. And for the record, I would be okay with Bob Iger buying the Suns, not because I like him or think he's a good person or something, but because it would be sick to have the Suns be the deep-pocketed team that can pay the payroll for once. That shit would be fun, you know? Now, again, I don't really like the way that Disney handles things or whatever. But, you know, whatever, man. I'm trying to get a deep-pocketed managing partner. So it is what it is. We will see what the Suns do. But, again, I think that they can take this thing up towards 20. This shit has been a ride. And I just hope it doesn't end. Outside of the Suns, a few things I wanted to talk about. This one is just personal for me. Again, I know that I'm behind. I know that everyone... Knows and it doesn't matter, but 
I have been a Michigan fan basically my entire life. It was instilled in me by my parents, who both um, you know lived and went to uh, Michigan and Ann Arbor, um, and I just continued that fanship. It just they burned it into me as a little kid, and I had never really completed college anywhere, so I never really had my own alma mater that I you know loved. So I just ended up rooting for. The college that, you know, my my parents went to and also the college that my sister went to, University of Arizona. So that's where I have my Michigan and Arizona fanship from. So boo, what happened to Arizona this weekend? But Michigan coming through and beating Ohio is fucking awesome. You know, basically for the first time in almost a decade, um, you know, since the Denard Robinson game, which was a crazy fun game, an incredible win, but not an ass kicking like this was. This one felt great. Like, this was a dominant, controlling victory. Like, you know, it was close at certain points, but for the most part, Michigan was in control of this game the entire time. And every time that they really fucking needed a big play, they got one. And it was just it was just the opposite of everything we've seen from Michigan since Harbaugh got there. Honestly, it was just... It was... I mean, they made big passing plays at times. Sure, they ran the ball up the middle. And actually, at one point, when Michigan was up seven and they had gotten the ball back on a punt and they were driving, I was screaming at them to run the ball up the middle and they, you know, did a play-action pass and Kate threw a pick. It was it was bad. <laughs> but it was just funny for me to be on the side of running the ball for once. They were killing it running. And, and that was... It, it it just worked. It all came together. It was a phenomenal game. And I was early on, I was a little worried after that first interception. I was like, oh boy. But they just kept it together. And I am a little worried about the Iowa game. I worry a little bit about the potential for a letdown game. If Michigan is looking at the playoff, you always worry about the letdown game. Um, you know, they're kids. They make mistakes. And oh, Iowa's a good team. And Iowa will be ready. It's not like Iowa's a slouch. They're 10 and 2. They're ranked 15. Like Iowa's no joke. So it's, it's, I want to talk about the playoffs, but they're not there yet. And if they beat Iowa, I will talk about Michigan in the playoffs and all of that means to me. And it would be huge. It would be phenomenal. But for now, the task is to beat Iowa win the Big Ten championship game, and do the thing that Michigan hasn't done forever, that's win the Big Ten. The fact that they are number two in the country, it's its unreal. It's Especially in a season when we blew a game against the Spartans, to rally, to not quit, to not give up on the season, and to come back and win every game that you had the rest of the way, including the game that we circle every single fucking year on the calendar – and in such a dominant fashion, proving that you're the better team. Showing that there's just, you are the better team. There's no last minute play. There was no close this. It was a thorough execution of Ohio. And I couldn't be prouder. I couldn't be happier. I love that team. It was fucking fun to watch. And now Iowa stands as the task. And you know what Iowa is as a football team every year. You know, they're a stout defense. They want to run the ball. Their passing game will always be suspect. It is what it is, right? It's it's Iowa. But they're going to be big, strong, physical. 
they're going to want to do their best to control the clock and, you know, control the line of scrimmage. A lot of the same thing that Michigan wants to do, control the clock, control the line of scrimmage, be physical. These teams are built in not necessarily dissimilar images, but Michigan is the more talented team. And should they prevail, Michigan's going to the college football playoff for the first time. And it is something that I have been dying to say. So that is exciting. I just hope that they can keep their focus. Uh, The dual rushing attack was so awesome. It just, everything that Michigan did last week worked. And the amount of pressure they were able to get was just phenomenal. It's just, this is the best Michigan team We've seen it a long time. And, you know, the thing is, if they, they were cruising against against State and just fell apart. And, you know, if this Michigan team was undefeated, who knows, like, what we could be talking about in terms of an all-time great type team or something uh, in terms of, you know, Michigan history at least. Um, but, hey, they rallied. They won the game that matters. Now you got to win one more game that matters to put yourself in position to chase that trophy, but we're a little bit ahead of ourselves. We'll talk about that when the time comes. A couple more things related to college football that I wanted to talk about. Um, First, I want to talk about Brian Kelly. And he supposedly got something like $150 million from LSU, $15 million a year, something like that. This shit is insane, man. Like, the Mel Tucker contract was crazy, especially because he signed it the day they got an ass whooping. But, you know, it is what it is. You're trying to keep a coach. I understand it, I guess. But, like, it was still a ton of money for a coach who's not been proven very much for very long. Mel Tucker's a good coach, but it's like he's only been a head coach for a few years. And it was – he's young. I – It was surprising. This Brian Kelly thing, like, I don't understand. I don't understand why you would want Brian Kelly. Notre Dame consistently underperforms. They always disappoint. So now LSU is like, oh, we want to bring that to our campus. And I understand the arguments. Well, you're recruiting in the SEC, blah, blah, blah. Okay, fine. You know, Notre Dame gets to recruit all around the country from some of the top kids. Now, maybe they don't always get the best classes, but doesn't that also have to do with Brian Kelly's recruiting? Like, Notre Dame is consistently overranked and is not nearly as good as everyone says they are. So either he's not getting as good of recruiting classes as it seems, or he's not doing a good job coaching the recruits that he's getting. But it's not like Notre Dame doesn't have a fucking talent pool. They're Notre Dame. They have their own goddamn television contract. They're just an independent school because they're too good for, you know, conferences. Like, I love watching them get skipped over every year when it comes to the playoffs these days. And, of course, when they made it to the playoffs, they got completely railed. But I just, I don't understand how you want more of this dude. Like, how is, how is paying a guy, like, the most money ever who consistently underperforms. How does that make any sense? Like, I understand they they missed out on Lincoln Riley. If you give Lincoln Riley this money, I sort of understand it because he's, like, young, he's a hot shot, he's an offensive guru, blah, blah, blah. I get that. But, like, Brian Kelly is just 
a retread coach who at this point has been doing the same shit every year for like 15 years since he left Cincinnati or whenever the hell that was, 13 years ago, something like that. I don't know. And now you want to bring that into LSU? There's not another young hotshot? I don't get it. It's it's just it's it's bizarre and and just this guy has like you're paying him more than Nick Saban to ultimately get rolled by Nick Saban like I just don't I don't get it I really don't get it like are you really trying to tell me that Brian Kelly is going to come in and just kick Kirby Smart's ass because he has the Louisiana recruiting pool now he's not that good of a coach he consistently underperforms like. It's not like there's one Notre Dame season that you can point to. Like, are you going to point to when Alabama fucking destroyed them because they got there based on a ridiculous preseason ranking? Like, what do you want from me? Like, there's nothing that stands out on his resume. Like, if LSU got Urban Meyer to come for $15 million a year, then I'd be like, oh, yeah, okay, well, obviously. But this just makes no sense. Brian Kelly sucks. He's going to suck. All the stories that about what a bad person he is have come out. It's just, this is not going to work. It's going to fail in spectacular fashion, and I'm going to enjoy it. He doesn't have the right temperament or style for LSU. Like, it just doesn't, it's it's not going to work. It's, it's I don't, his attitude, it's, I, I've, I don't like Brian Kelly at all. I've never liked him since he left Cincinnati for uh, Notre Dame. Just, okay, fine, I hate everything Notre Dame. But I just think this is a mistake for LSU. But hey, whatever, man. You know, that's the that's the horse you want to hit yourself to. That's that's fine. It's just this will be a spectacular flame out. It really will. Because again, Brian Kelly is not that good of a recruiter. So he you know, this whole thing about the Louisiana talent pool or whatever, he's still gonna lose guys. And he's not that good of a coach either. His decision making is incredibly suspect. And again, his teams always underperform in the biggest moments. And, you know, truth be told, I've told the truth at this point. I just, it's, I don't like this guy. I think this is a bad hire. The salaries themselves are ridiculous too. Like, what, like 15 million a year? Really? Like when the kids are making like a few thousand on their NIL deals? Like, you when you give these coaches so much money when they're making so much more money than their recruits could ever make like you give them like ridiculous amounts of power to 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 act like tyrant assholes and it's just how, in what world is a head coach in college football worth 15 million dollars a year right now like again if it's urban meyer and nick saban i guess i understand it like those two might theoretically be worth that, but a guy with no, with no like national championship pedigree who just sort of is, who like who has a team that's near the top every year because the media is half from Notre Dame, and like the coaches are half from Notre Dame. Like it's This just this I, I don't know. I, I this just this is something that really frustrates the shit out of me because these retread loser nobody coaches who aren't innovative and don't treat the kids well and don't understand anything about the world. You know, Brian Kelly was railing against, you know, having to potentially play games in California because of 
vaccine situations or whatever. Like, I just, I hate, I hate that motherfucker so much. And it's just whatever, you know, fuck LSU now, I guess that's, that's what it is. Um, and then finally, Lincoln Riley goes to USC. This one I actually find interesting. Um, again, the money is whatever, you know, it's, I don't even, whatever, what are you going to do? The money is huge. Um, but at least he's young and innovative. And I know he doesn't have a national championship pedigree either, but he has produced multiple Heisman winners. He's produced multiple number one overall, you know, NFL picks. And, you know, that, does that matter as much as national championships? No, but it does kind of matter to, you know, the schools themselves in terms of like putting them on the map, being able to market schools, things like that. And USC, you know, was used to that in the Pete Carroll era. You know, you're winning Heisman, you're competing for a national championship, you win the Pac-12 every single year. And now USC is just a dumpster fire of a team that's just, you know, whatever. They they have, uh, you know, all the Southern California recruiting possibilities. They have all the money in the world. And, you know, they couldn't even, they can't win a game to save their lives. They suck. So... Hiring Lincoln Riley is a great choice because he is an offensive innovator. He can turn, you know, almost anyone, Spencer Rattler, into a really, you know, great college quarterback. And it's exciting. Like, I think this is something that's really good for the Pac-12. As a U of A fan, it's not exciting because but U of A was going nowhere, nowhere anyway. But in terms of the Pac-12, now you have Oregon and USC potentially as actual contenders. And if you have two schools in this conference that are actual contenders, that means something in terms of one of these schools winning the conference and potentially being, you know, eligible for the playoff. And I'll tell you the other thing that this does is this is going to necessitate an 18 playoff. Because if you've got Oregon and USC and, you know, Alabama and Georgia and now finally Michigan and Ohio, we're just getting to a point where four is not enough. And you consider what's going on with Cincinnati and, you know, the group of five schools and all these things like we need an 18 playoff we just do it needs to expand to at least eight teams and i think now that you're gonna have potentially two powerhouse schools in all of the power five conferences right now except maybe the acc because you know clemson's falling apart and all that good stuff um but it's gonna be really interesting and i think we're gonna need to go to an eight game playoff soon because the four game playoff just doesn't cover every team we want in the playoffs and like here's the thing more playoff games is more money well, I don't even understand why everyone's against it. Like, and by the way, the kids would probably be for it too because they want to play for a chance at a national championship. Like, you're telling me you wouldn't want to be interested to watch Georgia play like, you know, a, a Notre Dame or someone right now? I don't know. I think people would be interested to watch that. Or potentially a Cincinnati. Like, I, the one versus eight game would still be interesting. Who Who is eight right now? Let's find out. Ole Miss is eight right now, but that could change. The point is... We need an 18 playoff because we're going to reach a point where we literally have too many elite teams for the 14 playoff. Like the argument before was always like, well, it's these national championship games aren't even good and blah, 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 blah. But we're starting to really have an expansion of talent and we're starting to really see, you know, a lot of good coaching talent. And there are starting, to, I mean, Let's look at what's going on in the group of five schools. Every year now, there's a fucking team that comes out of nowhere and is incredibly good. Like, Coastal Carolina has come out of nowhere to be ranked 
after not even existing. Like when I was a little kid, they've only been, you know, a football school for like 15 years now. And now suddenly they're, uh, you know, a school. And I'm not saying they're contending. I'm just saying that as we continue forward, more and more talent, it always increases. And you're going to have more elite schools. You're going to want to have more playoff games. Just fucking basic shit. I'm not even explaining anything that not everyone knows here. And it's time. And I think that I actually think that Lincoln Riley to USC could necessitate it because if you're going to come into a situation where you have the Power 5 conferences getting their four champions every year, their four best champions, then you're going to have the ACC champion be like, why not us? And the group of five champions say, we can't even be in. Like, we're going to have the Big Ten, the SEC, the Pac-12, we're going to have elite teams in every conference now. Who knows with realignment how things are going to change. Some of that stuff obviously is subject to the future of the alignment of the college football structure. But the point is, there are too many good goddamn teams and we need eight playoffs. Eight games in the playoffs. Let's do it. I am done this morning. That is all I have. No more picks and parlays for today. Of course, I'll probably make one later and I just won't tell you about it. Sucks to be you. Just kidding. I love you. (laughs) I love everyone in the world who is a good person. So I guess I don't love any conservative people. Oh, well. Let's try to enjoy our 2021 as it winds down. Peace to you and yours. And have a good 2022. Hopefully I will see you here tomorrow. I'm going to get my ass up and do it again. Let's keep this energy going. <laughs>